Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Eric, and one of the pastors here. Thanks for flexing with us as we figure out some tech things as I'm preaching in front of the speakers for one of the first times. So hopefully we'll be good with no feedback. Um, would you rise for the reading of God's word? Something we do just to say, hey, we want to take seriously God's word. And out of respect, sometimes it's good to stand for the reading of God's word. Now, we're also doing something a little bit different. Um, I was thinking about that this week, how so much of our time, for many of us, not everyone, is spent staring at a screen, whether it's your phone or a computer or a TV. And so we said, hey, the Christians have been known for 2,000 years as the people of the book. And so what I would love to see is, as a church body, we bring our physical Bibles to church. And some of you, if you don't have a Bible, we got a stack of them back there, um, both softcover and hardcover, and that's our gift to you. We tried to order large print so it would be easy for people to read. Um, and uh, again, we just want to encourage you to, if you don't have a Bible right now, wave your hand, and one of our people will walk around and give you a Bible. Sweet. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so uh, there's, there's one. Kim's going to grab one for Jesse. Um, but if you have one of our Bibles, I'm on page 1202, 1202. If you have your own Bible, I can't give you the page number. I can't help you there. But we're going to be in James 5, verse 13. And as we wrap up today's, our, our kind of series on the book of James, we find ourselves now in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are here. And we've come just to worship you, to say, God, you have all the answers. We don't. So I just pray for everyone in this room, everyone online, that they'd receive from you the word that they need to hear. Thank you for your love and grace. And as we look ahead towards Good Friday and Easter, let our hearts just be filled with love and peace and joy and let that just spill out over us. In your name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. The year is 1989. That Christmas, there was one toy especially that I, along with most boys my age, wanted more than anything else. The Nintendo Entertainment System. It wasn't just a video game system. It was a whole entertainment system. And that is what I wanted so badly. So every night, I would pray, God, please let my parents buy me a Nintendo. That is what I wanted so badly. God, please, please let my parents buy me a Nintendo. Friends, my parents did not buy me a Nintendo for Christmas that year. I, I could, yes, yes. Dad, stand, no, I'm just kidding. There you go, there you go. There you go. What they got me instead was the greatest Lego set I ever got. 
which was the first Lego pirate ship, the Pirate Barracuda. It's about this big. No, it's about, about this big. And it's amazing. And I didn't know, but actually that was a better gift than what I was praying for. And so today we're going to look at sometimes we get not what we're praying for, but something maybe even better or different. And so as a consolation prize, though, my neighbor, who was my best friend, he got a Nintendo Entertainment System. But it worked out pretty well because he'd come over and he'd play Legos with me. And I go to his house and we'd play Nintendo and he had Legos too. And we were best friends. We were neighbors. We walked to school together, played on the Little League team together. And, and, and it was so great because we had the Legos, we had the Nintendo. And so play we did again and again and again from about that Christmas until that summer. Uh, when Josh, my best friend, was diagnosed with cancer. And I did not get it. As a junior boy, I didn't understand what, what is this thing called cancer? But I knew it was evil. Because what the damage it was doing to my friend, and even the cure seemed like it was worse. Pretty soon my friend didn't look like himself anymore. Cancer took all his hair. And actually Josh and I would joke, he now looked like a ninja turtle because he was bald without any hair on his head. And about every day, I'd call up his mom and ask, you know, hey, what's Josh's white blood count? Because if it was high enough that I could go over and play with him, we'd do Legos, we'd do Nintendo. And if it wasn't, I couldn't see him that day. And then about a year into his cancer journey, he told me his cancer was in remission. And I was so excited. It was like, God healed my best friend. And for me, it was like all those stories I'd read about Jesus healing people became more and more alive because our faith, a lot of times, our beliefs are impacted directly by our experiences. And so this experience of my best friend, his cancer's in remission. It felt like this is God's answer. Of course God would want to heal him. But then a few months later, cancer comes back with a vengeance. And in April, Of 1992, 30 years ago, Josh passed away. My best friend, my neighbor. And I was so confused. As a junior high kid, I thought, I don't understand. Either God isn't powerful and couldn't heal him, or worse, God chose for some reason to decide that he wouldn't heal him. I didn't understand. Maybe you have a time in your life you can remember praying so, so hard for something. And God didn't answer it the way you thought he would. When a few months back, I felt like God was wanting us to go through the book of James as a church. I knew this passage that we just read was at the end of the book of James. James tells us the prayer of, an effect, of a righteous person is effective. Thanks. And we know that through Christ, we are made righteous. So what's the deal then, though, when sometimes we pray and, and, and we, we long for God to answer our prayers, but he doesn't? What do we do with unanswered prayers? That's what we're going to be looking at today. What do we do with unanswered prayers? So the good news is that we're not the only ones to go through this. Some of us have had just gut-wrenching experiences 
when God didn't answer that, your prayer and it, it, it shook your faith. But also, some of Jesus' closest friends went through this. We're going to look at a story in John chapter 11, if you want to turn your Bibles there. If you know the story of Jesus, he had some really close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And because I'm, I have two, two sisters, I like to think of Lazarus as the, as the middle brother. And uh, probably Martha's the older sister and Mary's the younger one because Martha does all the work and blazes the trail. And she gets things done. And Mary's just sitting around at Jesus' feet. And you know that story, uh, just like a good youngest. Uh, but these are really close friends with Jesus. And then, and then Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, he gets sick. Something, we don't know exactly what's going on. And so they send word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus, our brother, the one that you love, he's sick. Come and heal him. We know that you can do this. We've seen you heal so many people. Clearly, this is in your will to heal one of your closest friends. What does Jesus do? He gets that news, and he just stays where he is. And he waits. And Mary and Martha are back home, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're believing Jesus is going to heal their brother. And then their brother dies. And Mary and Martha are left just wondering what happens. We thought we had this in with Jesus and we thought for sure he would heal. How, how can this happen? Let's pick up our story 11, verse 17. Jesus decides to go now visit Lazarus after he's died. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany, that's the town, was near Jerusalem, about two days, miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha is like, hey, I know that you can heal him. And even now... I believe you could raise him from the dead if you, if you want this. Now, I've been through a little bit of grief counseling, and I don't know what Jesus is doing here, because this is not what they recommend. Because <laughs> he says, hey, your brother will rise again. It's like, okay, if someone just lost someone, that's not what you want to tell them. Jesus knows what he's doing, though. And Martha said to him, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same thing Martha just said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word there can actually literally means he was indignant. It means his nostrils were flaring. A little different picture of Jesus. He's indignant. He's actually angry. His nostril, nostrils are flaring. Is he angry at Mary? No. He's angry at death. He's angry at the serpent. 
the old crafty devil. See, when God created this world, he created it good, not perfect. Good, meaning this is good. Then he created man to work the garden, to work the earth towards perfection. But what happens? The serpent comes in, the devil, the tempter, Adam and Eve sin, and then everything that was good becomes broken. And cancer is in our world, and death and sin. And that's the enemy. And Jesus came to crush the head of that serpent, the old devil, and to be our victory, to stand in the gap that when we mess up and we sin, and now we have a debt between us and God, and there's relationship uh, brokenness between us, and Jesus on the cross, he's going to fix that gap. He's going to pay the price. He's also going to be our Christus victor. He's going to stomp the head of the devil and win the victory. However, that's what the Bible calls it. Theologians call it already, but not yet. So Jesus on the cross, he defeats sin, Satan, the last enemy, death. However, we live in this tension where Jesus has not yet come back to inaugurate his full kingdom. And so all, Jesus is going to have the victory over death. He had the victory over death on the cross, and he will have the victory over death. But in this moment, he has not yet gone to the cross, and he's angry. He's angry that death exists, that sickness exists, that the devil exists. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then perhaps the verse you memorized, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I love that verse. Because it shows Jesus comes near in our brokenness and hurt. In the middle of our unanswered prayers, Jesus doesn't stay distant. He comes near to us. And what does he do? He weeps. He's angry at the devil and death and, and sin and sickness. But also he comes in and he weeps with us. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We're going to end this story there. Uh, If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably maybe heard the story of Jesus actually does raise Lazarus to life and calls him out. We're going to leave that for another time. But what I want to talk about today is how do we handle disappointment and confusion that comes from unanswered prayers? I think Mary and Martha are good examples of what we do. And I love that Jesus, he responds to Mary and Martha, who asked the same, say the same exact thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died in two different ways. To Martha, he speaks truth. To Mary, he weeps. So this morning, perhaps you need a word of truth to hold on to. And I hope that the Holy Spirit reveals that today. Perhaps you just need to know that Jesus He weeps with you. He's with you in the brokenness. So first, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. How do we deal with unanswered prayers? We need to feel it, not fight it. We need to feel it, not fight it. Now, some of us were raised in a stream of Christianity that was so worried about feelings, that your feelings can lead you astray, that we prioritize the head over anything to do with our heart or our emotions. I, w- I want you to reject that. 
God gave you feelings to know the truth about what you need. God wants you to feel, not to fight it or stuff it in a box. See, the needier you are, the more spiritually mature you are. I'm going to say that again because some of you don't agree with that. Or maybe just went by right by you. But the needier you are, actually the more spiritually mature you are. The more aware you are of the depth of your need for a savior, the more spiritually mature you are. The more you realize, I can't do this on my own. I can't pastor. I can't be a husband. I can't be the father that I need to be, that I've been called to be on my own strength. And so I desperately need the spirit of God to fill me and to renew me every day. Every day I need to know God's mercies are new. Every day I need to go to him. I need to open his word. I can't do this on my own. That is a mark of spiritual maturity. See, a lot of us think the more mature we get, the less we're going to need God. It's, it's the opposite. The more we realize how needy we are, that's how we realize how spiritually mature we are. Also, your feelings are a gift from God to feel your need for God. We see this all throughout Scripture. God created Adam, put him in the garden, had him name all these animals. And at the end of that, everything is good still. What does Adam feel? He feels lonely. Is that a bad thing? No. Because that drives him that he needs a spouse, a helpmate. So God creates then Eve. See, all throughout Scripture we see that once we experience this feeling of of need or, or, or different feelings we have of anger, of of sadness, of sorrow, once we realize what's going on inside of us, that's when God can come in. And when we're broken, he can bring healing. When we're angry, can help us to know what part we've played and how we can work towards reconciliation. When we're joyful, to turn that joy into praise. See, your feelings are a gift from God. Your grief is a gift from God so that you will now turn towards Jesus. See, need is at the heart of any relationship. If you are so strong and you put up this front that you don't need anyone, you won't have close relationships with God or others. See, as a church, as we invest in community groups and relationships and you have friendships, you have to expose your need to your friends to your community. That is how relationships are formed. To say, hey, Dylan, I need you. Can you come over and help me with this thing? When we say we need each other, that's, that's at the heart of relationship. And to know, hey, the heart of relationship with God is to say, hey, God, I'm needy. I need you today. See, feelings explain what you need. They're a gift from God. Number two, write this down. You have to confront the sadness and the silence. Mary and Martha are waiting for Jesus. Days. And he shows up. What do they do? They confront the sadness and the silence. Jesus, where have you been? My brother, we watched him breathe his last breath and die. And heaven was silent. You were silent. Our sadness is here, but they bring it to Jesus. That's a healthy thing. Now, this is going to take courage and risk to be big enough to say, God, I'm bringing you my sadness. God, why is it you seem silent? The Psalms are full of this. This is why I urge you, 
Be in the Psalms every day. It, it, it's, it's the language that we deal with towards God. Throughout the Psalms, David and others are saying, God, where are you? And sometimes the Psalms start that way and then end with, God, I don't see you, I don't feel you, but you know what? I'm gonna trust you. And so some of us have a, a view of God that's too small. We think God can't handle our anger or our pain or our sadness. God says, no, 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 bring it to me. Bring me your, 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 your sadness. When I seem silent, keep coming towards me. Because that's the on-ramp back towards reconnection. When you feel distance from God, he actually isn't. But it feels like he is because he seems like he's silent. But when you bring him your feelings and your sadness and, and, and you confront the silence, that's the on-ramp back towards connection. Some of you have felt disconnected from God, especially during this pandemic. And what you need to do is confront that, that, that wall you feel like you've been feeling, that silence. You need to confront that sadness about what you've lost or, or just these last two years. And, and you've, been being like, you've been asking, why does I feel disconnected from God? This is your on-ramp back towards connection with God. And number three, I'm going to write this down. Unanswered prayer is not a testing ground. It's an invitation to know God in the depth of your being. God isn't putting you through all these trials and hard things just to test you, just to see like how strong, how strong is Tim back there. No, no, no. It's an invitation to know God, to be with him, to bring him your silence, your feelings, your tears, your joy, all the things you're going through. See, God aches for things to be made right. We live in the tension between the kingdom that was inaugurated on the cross and the full coming of Jesus' kingdom. The victory was won on the cross. It'll be fully won when Jesus comes back to inaugurate his full kingdom. So we live in this tension that the world is not the way it should be. There is disease and death and sickness here, and so we have to deal with this. So how do we deal with this? We bring it to God who agrees things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so God aches for it to be made right. This sounds a little cliche, but it is so true. That if it's not good, God's not done yet. If it's not good yet, God is not done yet. I've been doing a lot of smoking. Meats. Uh, not other things. Uh, I love my Traeger. I got that about a year ago. And uh, smoking pork, brisket, chicken thighs, different things. However, yeah, you, you see it, you see it. I'm still not much of a cook. So I, I don't know, I don't do a lot with the kitchen. Kristen sometimes will kick me out of the kitchen. Uh, I need to get to know the ingredients in the kitchen more. But I do know that if I walked into the kitchen and I was hungry and I just opened up the cupboard and pulled out the first thing I saw and it was a jar of baking soda and I took a big handful of that baking soda and threw it in my mouth, that would not satisfy my hunger, Right? Does that mean baking soda is bad? No. It means it's one ingredient. And you can't judge that one ingredient separate from everything else. Because I do know from baking that it's combining all those things in together to make something that's beautiful and wonderful to eat. We have limited understanding of what is going on in our lives and our worlds around us right now. But too often, I think Christians, what we do is we fixate on one ingredient. This one thing. And it's like trying to get a whole meal out of baking soda. 
But Jesus says, hey, it's not done yet. I, I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. He talks about, we don't understand how it's going to happen, but when Jesus comes back and inaugurates his new kingdom, and God creates a new heaven and new earth, and heaven comes to earth, and God makes his dwelling place with man, and everything is made right. Somehow, that is going to work backwards through all of time, and every wrong will be made right, and every grief will be wiped away. It will still be there. But somehow, it's like discordant, different tones from a musical instrument that gets woven into a beautiful tapestry that becomes a symphony or these different ingredients that becomes now this beautiful meal. Somehow we don't get it, but our grief, our sadness, our pain, our anxiety, all of that, somehow God will use that to bring it about to something beautiful. That is the hope we look forward to. And so if it's not good, God's not done yet. Don't judge your experiences because the meal's not done yet. The musical piece isn't done yet. Number four, we won't go to Jesus and receive what we need if we first don't feel what we need. We won't go to Jesus and receive what we need unless we feel what we need. And so this morning, perhaps, as the Spirit is moving in your heart, be open. Where is the Spirit stirring? What is he stirring up in you that you need to feel? Have you just shoved in a box the sadness and grief of the last two years that hey, hasn't gone the way it did? My last year of college didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Hey, I thought I'd be further along in my faith journey by now. Hey, I thought this friendship would last forever, and it didn't. But in, we have to feel it and acknowledge it if we're going to find healing. I'm going to invite the band up as I read this passage one more time. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? What are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling joy? James says, sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Just a couple quick points of application right here. We see James saying three specific things to us. Number one, pray and be prayed over. Number two, sing praise. And number three, confess. First, with that prayer, see, James doesn't advocate just anger. God, why would you do this? Or just stoicism, or what I like to call sometimes is Christian fatalism. It's an extreme view of Calvinism that just says, you know what? I'm just going to accept everything and, you know, everything was already predetermined my whole life and so therefore I'm not going to bring it to prayer. No, 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 no. Are you suffering? Are you sick? Bring that in prayer to Jesus. That's what God wants you to do. Not just anger, not just stoicism of just, okay, I'm just going to accept. No, no, no. Bring it to Jesus in prayer. Number two, here's a teaching that, uh, as I was saying this week, I don't think I'd ever fully grasp this, but James clearly places the responsibility for initiating on the sick person. Not on the church leadership. Now, this doesn't exclude pastors and elders from suggesting that the sick person call for healing ministry, but the request must come from the ill. So often in life, I think we just get so passive. 
We just sit back and we receive. And perhaps even in church, you just sit and receive the worship. You receive the word. But James says, are you sick? You go call for the elders to pray for you. In a little bit, I'm going to give you an invitation. And we have our pastors in the back. But you have to get up out of your seats and say, hey, would you pray for me? You need to take that step of faith. Our bodies, minds, and souls are all connected. And so there is something about physically, tangibly, standing up, walking over, connecting with someone, having someone tangibly put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. But before one calls for the healing ministry, he must, as best as he can, examine his life for any known sin and humbly confess it to God. That's something we don't talk a lot about in kind of our stream of Baptistic uh, Protestant Christianity. But here's the thing. We see that Jesus says, not every instance of sickness is due to sin. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of the world. But sometimes sickness is due to sin. Sometimes Jesus looks at a, a, a sick person and says, your sins are forgiven. Then he heals them. And then he says, hey, go and sin no more. Before you ask for the church elders, the, the pastors to pray for you, examine your heart. Is there pride you need to confess? Is there anger? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? Lust? Greed? And do that business with God first. Then ask for prayer for you. And then this word, elder. So there's different traditions on what elders are. In, in the New Testament, the word elder is really the same word for pastor. So today, um, we're going to have our pastors pray for people in the back. We have a system of government called we have a governing team, and on our governing team, people function as deacons and elders. And so that's really getting into the weeds. But just today, uh, that word pastor is really the same word as uh, elder is pastor. And so uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do is this. The band's going to play a song. It's a new song. Matt was like, hey, can we do this song? I'm like, yeah, this is a great song. And we want you just to receive the song, listen to it, sing along if you get it, and, and, and just let them kind of sing over you. And then after this song, me, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Josh, who's one of our volunteer pastors, will be in the back. We just have a little bit of oil. And, and what's that oil? In the Old Testament, oil was there to set people apart for something um, specific. So they would anoint kings, they'd anoint prophets and priests. And so it's not some kind of crazy, magical, Pentecostal thing, but it's truly saying, hey, we are setting you apart for a work of the Holy Spirit to invite and say, hey, would you come and heal right now? So after the song, in the back of the room, me, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Josh are going to be back there. We'd love to pray for you. Something mental, physical, or spiritual. And we're going to ask in faith, knowing God doesn't always answer the prayers we want them to. So let's do that now. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, the band's going to lead us in the song. They're going to sing over you, and then we'll transition to a time of having prayer in the back with our elders. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this place. And God, you have been faithful as we look throughout scriptures. So God, we call on the God of Abraham. We call on the God of Jacob, the God of David, the God of Daniel, the God of Mary, 
that you are the same God. And God, we know that you worked then and you're working now. So we come boldly and we're going to ask for healing. We're going to bring our needs and our requests. We're going we're gonna to feel our feelings and, and we're going to use that as a way to connect with you, God. So I pray as the band leads us in this song, God, that we would feel what's going on. That you'd reveal to us sin that we need to confess. That you'd reveal something in our life that maybe we realized wasn't even there. And, and, and we'd use that as a way to, to reconnect with you. And then we pray. Amen. Let's receive this song. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.